0: Thanks for joining us this week and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode.
1: Hello, everyone. You are listening to CBE's podcast. Mutuality Matters, the global impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing. Well, hello, Kim. Introduce us to your wonderful friend.
2: Oh, I'm so excited to introduce our audience to Dr. Vandana Kant. Um, years ago, when I was in college, I went to North India where my heart really broke for women, and I went to a hospital in. Bihar, India, which is North India, in the town of Roxall called Duncan Hospital, and they were doing, um, for the time, they were doing just groundbreaking uh, public health, community health and development in the villages. Years later, I went back with my master's in public health and worked in Utrala, where I met Dr. Vandana Kant. We were both very young then, And now years later, she is working with her master's in public health. She was a physician and she realized she needed um, a master's in public health. So she went back and studied again and has now been leading the community health and development project in Roxal Bihar. She has a lot to share with us, a lot of amazing different interventions they're doing, and I cannot wait for our audience to get to hear her and the work that they're doing. So Vanda, would you be able to share with us, with our audience, who Emanuel Hospital Association is, and specifically what is their work in community health and development?
3: Okay, so thank you for giving this opportunity to share something about EHA. EHA is called Emmanuel Hospital Association and it is a network of about 20 registered societies. Now, they are mostly in the remote uh, places with low uh, socioeconomic indicators. So, these uh, hospitals initially started. in, in the form of small clinics or small hospitals to provide basic medical health care in terms of like antenatal care or you know or immunization for the kids treatment of diarrhea treatment of respiratory infections though most of the uh, difficult cases were referred to higher hospitals or centers but over a period of time uh, with more doctors coming in more no- nurses joining in the beds increasing, the resources coming in, the materials coming in, the equipment's coming in. So slowly it developed uh, into secondary level of health care. So today EHA has uh, all these 20 registered hospitals have uh, secondary level of health care in terms of they can give specialized care uh, to women uh, who need cesarean uh, sections or Uh, Now we have orthopedic services, uh, specialized dental services. We have an ICU uh, where we can take in critical care patients, which were not there some time back, some years back. Now, uh, saying that Community Health and Development Project is like one of the department in each of the units. Uh, So how these uh, CHDP programs started is uh, in the 1990s, most of the uh, community health wings in these uh, hospitals started with service delivery model where uh, the uh, most of the burden healthcare burden were for women and kids so we started initially with uh, outreach services in terms of uh, immunization nutrition and uh, uh, examining women for any high-risk pregnancy referrals. So all these started initially with the thought of a service delivery model, but over a period of time, uh, looking at the communities and realizing that, uh, and also with the time, the CHDP program slowly started shifting towards more of empowerment model, and also working at the actual uh, social determinants at that point of time in that community or the needs of that community. So, now at this point of time, we have involved our uh, CHDP programs. uh, Apart from the uh, service delivery model, um, we have programs on uh, like HIV/AIDS. What uh, we do is uh, not only the prevention, but we have gone to uh, treatment and rehab part of it. Because, uh, as I told you, most of these hospitals are in eight states of India which have uh, very bad uh social and health indicators so see so these uh so uh so now with this hiv aids program uh we have realized because of the poverty and the huge uh, migration that has been especially if i if i talk about ruxol uh we are in the eastern foreign district in bihar and we are the uh, second highest uh, prevalent uh, state um uh, district in uh bihar so uh yeah, so Wait, can actually, I stop
2: you for a minute? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, what does that mean? The second highest prevalent district,
3: okay. In terms of uh, national AIDS control organization NACO okay. uh, data, uh, we have the highest incidence and prevalence for HIV in East Champaran district, the, okay. So in Luxor, okay, and uh, yeah. So saying that uh, we have now moved uh, our projects, uh, we able to get in touch with NACO and now we have an ART center. And uh, this has definitely helped uh, other women in our community uh, because uh, the men who went for an unsafe migration came back with HIV. And uh, we used to see women delivering at 14 years of age, 16 years of age with, you know, uh, getting, uh, you know, HIV and the child with HIV, and so we were able to make a difference in terms of because the women um, they widowed they became widows very early and uh, it was very difficult for them to go for a treatment of, uh, to get a treatment from the nearby um, centers so we were able to get the centers itself in ruxal so Today we have more than uh, three hundred fifty um, uh, people uh, linked to ART center, out of which about sixty percent of them are women and widows. So we were able to break through in that uh, in that scenario. And today, not only that, but also there is hardly any discrimination for or with HIV. And wow. We are able, to, yeah. So so that I, is. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when
2: I was there in 2002 and 2003, we were just starting prevention for HIV AIDS, and the women's husbands would have migrated perhaps to Delhi to work. And then they would um, contract AIDS there and come back. But the women were more malnourished than the men. And so the women would get AIDS from their husbands, but they would get sick sometimes sooner and they would often be blamed for being the one who caused hiv aids so i'm just so impressed that over the years you have developed this program in roxall so that there isn't as much discrimination and they have access to care to treat hiv aids that's yeah. that's amazing and
1: kim i'm so grateful that you mentioned that because it's it's we'd love to have our listeners see that texture of how how disease and and work and discrimination impact the lives of women differently than the lives of men. And I wondered, Dr. Vandana, if you could describe, you could continue that thread of thought in the ways that Kim has opened for us here about how women may suffer differently than men in your particular uh, medical community.
3: Yes, so I have a few thoughts on that. Uh, So in my experience, uh, if, uh, uh, if a woman has an HIV, so most of these HIV were detected in the antenatal care center and we had to actually test the family, the men, before we actually reveal the test.
0: Oh,
3: why? Because that's uh, great. Yeah. So, what happens is if we just reveal it to just the women and the family, so invariably she will be thrown out of the house or she will be, you know, uh, discriminated immediately. So, because they think she a, caused it. That's why. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and no, the other thing is the men will not get tested otherwise. Okay. Men will not get tested. So what is a policy, what we are doing here is uh, if uh, we get any women positive, we call their husbands and then we do a family. Uh, we, we don't tell them that till that point of time that uh, about the uh, illness or about the detection that has just happened until unless the men and most of the time, 99.9% of the times the men comes positive. And I just want to say that when it happens, I have never seen a woman leaving the husband. In fact, I've seen these women supporting the husband. They don't leave. They stay back. They take care yes. of the husband. They take care of the family. They take care of the kids. And uh, with the family counseling, the you know, life moves on. But if at all, I've seen instances where the women were positive. In some cases, where the men were not but she was immediately thrown out in mm-hmm. fact uh, uh, it was like a death sentence for her so you can see how the same disease pattern you know mm-hmm. so it's such different a woman is willing to stay back take mm-hmm. care till the end but the men immediately leaves their wife right so this is something that uh, that happens what? and uh, we've been trying to work on that yeah
2: I love that you have creatively found problems. I mean, not problems, solutions to the problems um, so that both sides are tested and not the woman just getting the blame because she's obviously there because she's pregnant and she's there for what we call here prenatal care. And that's how you find it. So it would be very easy for the man not to ever be tested. Mm-hmm. And then that is, like you said, a death sentence for her. So I love that you test the whole family and then you have interventions to help the whole family take care of each other. Can
1: I, can I just ask a quick question about gender socialization as it interfaces with medical care? It sounds like, as Kim said, the creative solutions that you, Dr. Vandana, have in your team have come up with actually protect and empower women through knowledge, through testing and through intervention. But how does the culture, uh, even medical culture, socialize men and women differently? It sounds like that plays a role here too, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, see, initially uh, with the HIV, it took time for our, our own hospital uh, staff, staff themselves to, you know act, uh, to take in uh, uh, women with HIV uh, because most of the hospitals around uh, were not treating the uh, women with HIV so they were all referred to our hospital and I realized that even in a hospital at times, initially, initially, the women were uh, the, uh, you know, they though they were in the general ward with the other women, but they were always at the near the bathroom or they will be somewhere uh, where they, you know, they will access uh, or assess, access the least, you know, health care from our uh, nurses. So we had to break that. So what we started doing is uh, we started um, enrolling uh, them as peer educators so we 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 realize that unless they are a part of our team and part of our hospital we will never be able to make a breakthrough in the whole medical care system as such so we started employing them in our hospital so today I'm so proud to say that uh, we have one full-time female staff and her name is Poonam and I'm sure she will not be, you know, uh, that uh, she has given free, uh, you know, uh, freedom for me to share about her. And uh, she told, she tells me just one thing: the uh, the the very disease HIV, who, whom people thought or uh, that it is a, it was a death sentence for me, or the government said, or anyone said, but it has become a lifesaver uh, because uh, today she has accepted the Lord, and she's growing so strong. And uh, she is like, a, you know, a light for so many other women. She does counseling for so many women with HIV. And uh, she is like an icon for us. And uh, uh, she is uh, something what we would look uh, you know to up to, because sometimes it's very easy for me or you know, even my own staff to share. But involving them into our program has been great. And similarly, there is was a peer educator. Who is now taking care of the whole ART center. And he knows exactly. He is the even he's better than our doctors and nurses because he knows what kind of problems this widow or that person or this youngster is going through. Because so, he
2: comes from where they live, unlike the doctors yeah. and nurses. So he understands their social context. Okay, that's great.
3: And they both are themselves on ART. So they know uh, how. And just really quickly, ART can use. ART is antiviral therapy. Antiviral therapy. That is given to treat uh, for those uh, people with HIV AIDS whose CD4 cell count is so low that they are not able to, you know, fight the infections. So. Uh, now with uh, this art center coming in a hospital and with le- less discrimination uh the things are getting much better and i just want to let you also you, you all know initially when um, we were planning to start art centers people were hesitant because uh, everyone will know that we are coming and taking art because they used to go to different districts uh, hiding you know they, they they used to go in the night so that nobody will know that where they are going but today it's open and it's just a sign that men and women are coming. Now, our staff are very less stigmatized because they are working along with us, and we are definitely working at the family level for women and men so that the family counseling is going on. And yeah,
2: that's a beautiful story. I'm just going to summarize it because it was so great. But, but her, but Dr. Vandana, in answer to Mimi, said, Yeah, when these patients came in. Even the staff kind of located them in areas where they would be ignored in the hospital as patients, like close to the bathrooms or uh, um, unsavory places. And they recognized this. And so to even change the attitudes of the staff, they decided to take some of these patients and teach them to be community educators. And eventually they became part of the staff and it has transformed the way the entire hospital staff see these people, and now they're integrated. They have, um, as they say, as Poonam says, her life has been saved when what she thought was a death sentence.
1: Oh, beautiful. What a summary, Kim. Bravo. That was gorgeous. Um, (laughs) I I am so touched by this uh, strategy that the Lord gave you. And even as Christ showed up so powerfully in their lives and I, I think our listeners will find that uh, a possible model for their own communities. Mm -hmm.
2: I think we distracted you from what you were initially saying, but you have so much good stuff.
0: Enjoying the podcast? Take our survey and help shape the future of Mutuality Matters. Check the show notes below for the link or go to cbe.today forward slash pod survey.
3: Yeah, thank you for summarizing that, Kim. And uh, see why I started with HIV was because this was one of the first programs to start in our in our unit. And the second that we started was on disability. And so, so uh, we are working with uh, men, women, and children with various disabilities. And in uh, the last two years, we have also started now working with um, uh, men and women with spinal cord injuries. And uh, saying that, if we look at the gender angle, uh, we mostly are uh, we mostly find uh, men and boys, you know, with disabilities because it's invariably most of the women and the girls with disabilities they don't last long mm-hmm. uh, because of the nutrition and the stigma. So they mostly are uh, they, they die out early. But we are uh, especially now uh, looking. Uh, we go to the villages screen them and uh we are working on these issues and uh, spinal cord injury uh patients with spinal cord injury is something very near to our heart and in our hospitals we mostly see uh if you see a ratio we'll see uh 90 to 10 nine, nine to one so if there will be nine men it's only just one woman who will be ever able to come up and, you know, be part of our treatment program. I remember what you're saying,
2: I'm just going to ask real quickly. So what you're saying is initially people could think only men have spinal cord injuries because that's all that you would find, but actually the women were so neglected, they would just die. And so when you had treatment, you would have nine men to one woman that would come for treatment. And you guys, you all recognized the women are being neglected and you've started programs that go look for them in the villages.
3: Yes. So there was this one, uh, this was only after a year when we started this project that I found out there is a woman with spinal cord injury. So I had gone to see her. So uh, so when the men, uh, because the husband will not allow us to uh, go into his house, so i had to make sure that he is not at that he is not there uh, in his house at that point of time
2: <laughs> you're so sneaky good to,
3: for like, you <laughs> <laughs> but, but why why was that not allowed uh i i believe that this man uh this man uh, that was her husband uh didn't want it to uh us to come and see his wife in that situation because it would shame him Uh, It would shame him in terms of his uh, wife with disability and also he didn't wanted her to get any kind of, you know, uh, he believed that she will not get well and he doesn't want us to see her in that stage because she will not get well and everyone will know that she is with disability. He was hiding her in a way. And, uh, you know, she, when I went to see her, she was on the second floor. So, that means he so she was taken uh, physically from the ground floor because initially they were staying in the ground floor so i had to go to the second floor quietly and see she was in a very uh, bad uh, bad stage and status so um, so that there's a time i realized that how different it is for a man and for a you know uh, for a for a woman so and uh, yeah, so so that actually made me think. And so now our projects and programs are literally and consciously looking for uh, you know, even uh, women or girls right. with uh, spinal yeah. cord injuries.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, the the
1: Economist uh, that journal, wonderful journal, did a story thirteen years ago called Gender Side, and they documented the the skewed gender ratios in the world that there were um, 100,000 females missing from the planet, according to their statistical analysis. And this is just one small example, the stories you're telling us help us understand some of this data, like where are, are these missing females, girls and women, because they're so wildly neglected by the medical community in this country and elsewhere.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes, there is one study we did uh, in our uh, project and we realized that uh, when we looked at the data for immunization and how many infants were brought for critical care management, we found it was mostly boys and uh, there were hardly any girls, but when you look at the level of knowledge, they all can they all will say yes there is no difference between a boy and a girl but when it comes to actual behavior and attitude and practice it just it just changes and in my uh, experience too uh, even in terms of uh, not only uh, health uh, which is linked to nutrition but also in terms of education uh, they are treated separately so the the girl child will study in a government school which is free And in comparison, the boys will go to a private school or Mm -hmm. even if a girl is studying uh, to an extent. So she will be dropouts. There will be a huge dropout from 8th standard or 10th standard uh, because the whole uh, this is the whole attitude towards a girl child that makes uh, all of these, uh, whether it's education or healthcare, or even in the future skills, or professions uh, or the future gender roles. So it just ch- starts with the whole attitude uh, towards a girl child. Yeah, I, when you talk about immunizations, I
2: remember um, in Utrala, there was a measles epidemic. And uh, unlike in the United States, babies die from measles, like one village, all of their babies died from that epidemic. So our community health and development project program went to the village to immunize and all of the boys came and there were no girls. And one grandma came with her, um, infant grandson and said can you immunize him and and our team was just so creative and they said he's too young to immunize and she said well what can i do and they said well he's probably going to get measles because of all of the girls in this village who have not been immunized so that grandma by herself went and rounded up every little girl in that village to get immunized so that her grandson didn't get sick and i loved that she did that but the, how tragic it was that she only did it so that her grandson would live, and no one else thought it was important that these girls get immunized.
1: Mm-hmm. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Vondana, I'm wondering in your vast and profound experience whether, and Kim too, actually, that's both of you, what have you found in terms of the impact of Christian faith? In these sort of bot, these communities where gender bias has enormous health consequences, how have you how have you seen God jump in there, and particularly the Word of God,
3: Scripture? So, uh, for me, uh, when uh, one thing I realized is God has a special heart for the poor and marginalized. And uh, he is, God is not partial, but this is one area where he definitely has favorites and he he loves them and he wants us to take care of them. So there is this one uh, particular verse from James 1, 10 to 7 that has always been uh, a great motivator for me where it says that religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And at the same time, I've seen uh, when I read the scriptures, I feel a special love towards women. So when Jesus said, uh, when he comes again, uh, pray that it will not be in the time it, it, it should not be, you know, very cold or in the time of winter because it will be very difficult for the pregnant women. So he mm-hmm. realizes that he senses that he feels that, you know. And then, uh, in uh, then there's another verse that is uh, that really strikes me is when the shepherd leads, he takes care he's very careful with you know with goats who have just uh who uh, who are yeah who are lactating or who are have just had babies so he's the shepherd takes you know slowly that he doesn't uh hurry them so god has a heart of shepherding of love these are some of the things that has always uh you know helped me and motivated me and this. One thing that I realized after coming to Bihar, because initially I never wanted to come to this place to work. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so uh, that was something when God called me here. Uh, He actually showed me very clearly Ruxol and his love for people here. Uh, This when it says in Acts 10, 34, 35, Peter began to speak I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right so God has a heart for every person so I had to literally pray Lord give me your love so that I can through your love I can love them I love and love the people so I had to start from there the scriptures had to actually start mm. becoming alive in my life and that is the time and point of life. It took two years for me to uh, understand that the work that I'm doing is not uh, work as such, but it is the ministry that God had already prepared beforehand uh, for me. And it's an opportunity and privilege to work here in Bihar. And it's not, he is dependent on me, but I just see that in his big plan, I'm just one piece with which he is uh, you know uh, creating his patterns beautiful patterns in the lives of the people and so so that's something that i just wanted to uh, say and uh, that his love for people compels us to continue and uh, work here in this part of uh, bihar wonderful
1: beautiful thank you wow
2: so vandana i what you just said about God not picking favorites Um, and then giving your examples of the shepherd who waits for the lambs that have just birthed and the and the nursing um, babies and and. Well, that at the end, when Jesus comes, or I'm sorry, at the end times, but may it not be in the winter, which will be so hard for the women. That really just blew me away because mm-hmm. in the stories you're telling, you're in the midst of a culture and the world over, the same is true, where the men are the favorites. And Jesus said, no. And he had had special care where he reaches out and he specifically makes sure that the weakest are taken care of, that things are slowed down, that they can flourish and nurture. So in healthcare care, you've been looking at it specifically to say, How do we find the ones that are being ignored, that are not the favorites, and lift them up like Jesus does? Oh, so beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm. I like the metaphor of the lamb as well and the shepherd because this close day and night relationship of watching and caring and nurturing uh, can become part of our own demeanor and practice. It's it's one of the most powerful metaphors I can think of uh, coming to us from scripture and so applicable today.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I would say is uh, uh, shepherd goes after the sheep. No, he, he goes for the lost and he goes for the, you know, he leaves the 99 and goes for the sick and the injured. So uh, how do we uh, learn this from him? And so what we do is um, we realize there's a lot of women hurting in our community.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Our interview with Dr. Vandana Kant was so good that we divided it in half. So you've just heard the first half and next week we will be airing the second half. So please join us next week to hear more of the great stories and the work that Dr. Vandana and her team are doing in North India. In the meantime, you can go to the show notes and learn how you can follow Dr. Vandana and Emanuel Hospital Association and learn about what's going on with women in North India. There are many resources there that can deepen your understanding of the situation that Dr. Vandana is is addressing. We also have a new website, so come check it out at www.cbeinternational.org. There, you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog, our magazine, and our academic journal, or visit our bookstore, which contains tons of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon with Dr. Mimi Haddad, and we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening.
0: The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers.